Welcome to Culture Bites, where we take culture theory and turn it into everyday insights. We're powered by Human Synergistics, and our mission is to change the world one organization at a time. We can only do that together with our amazing community, so thank you for listening. Welcome to Culture Bites. My name's Dominic Golley. I'm a consultant with Human Synergistics Australia, and I'm joined on the show this week by Anne Crothers, fellow consultant. Hey, Anne. Hey, Dom. How are you going? Yeah, good, Anne. Hey, you and I were just doing an in-house accreditation analysis oh, recently. Uh, I'm still getting over it. <laughs> <laughs> you mean it was such an amazing experience you know, recovering? And one of the things that, you know, when we're training people up, they said was that, oh, we love how you guys just have these kind of little short, succinct ways of describing the different styles. And I think it was saying they were trying to come to terms with themselves or create for yeah. themselves. Like, how do I just explain a style and kind of one or two sentences without kind of overcooking it because yeah. they, they felt they were overdoing it. So I love to go through the circumplex and how do you kind of describe the different styles around there? Maybe, you know, a little bit of an explanation of them, but, you know, how do you keep it short, I suppose, is yeah. sort of the idea. Yeah, yeah. Do you know, whenever I'm doing that, you know, in, in a debrief typically, a couple of key points I like to make sort of off the bat is that the descriptions that I'll use uh, you know, when the scores are high, you know, essentially maximum score, that's typically the frame up that I'll use. And I'll also, you know, make the point that the descriptions are somewhat generic, you know, and so even if the person has, you know, when we get into their data, you know, extensions in these styles, some of what I've said in the descriptions, you know, may or may not resonate for them. And that's okay, you know, but so I'm sort of just trying to give the general flavor of the style when the score is high, uh, but, you know, we can't be definitive about, about these things. Uh, yeah. Um, and I use the, um, you know, my little tool that I use is the uh, A4 sheets, you know, the circumplex one pages. I've always got those with me. And as you know, you know, they've got the descriptions there as well. So they're, they're a really good start, actually, for newly accredited people, just sort of get your head around the descriptions there. But same point, right? They're written from the perspective of maximum score. And generic, you know, and so may or may not resonate in its entirety for the person that, that we're working with. Yeah, it's a, good, it's a good point, right? And because often yeah, people see those descriptions, but they've only scored at the 60th percentile, so you kind of need to yeah. like water it down a <laughs> yeah, bit or whatever it. you want to call it, you know? Yeah, like. so, so ma- maximum score, you know, and, and also say the point, you know, like at, you know, extensions in this style, so, you know, maximum score may look like or Mm. could feel like or Mm. potentially can resemble, you know, so you're being a little bit loose about that. You're not saying it is, Mm. you know, as well. So I think that's Mm. quite important as well. When when we're positioning the styles and the the essence of the styles with with people, we want to be, you know, a little bit loose around all that. Well, it's it's a talking point and they're the experts in there. So get them to apply to them. On that, so if we kind of just work our way yeah, around the circumplex, maybe I'm a fan and I know you're a fan of starting at approval so we can finish strong <laughs> yeah. on uh, constructive styles. Yeah. So approval, how do you kind of uh, define that one, in? Yeah, uh, you know, uh, so firstly, approval is a good place to start, uh, not only because, you know, if you just simply go around the, the clock, you'll end up with the blues, but it's a good place to start to you know, get people thinking about the difference between, you know, low scores and high scores, mm. you know, above the line, below the line. And, and by line, I'm talking about 50th percentile. Um, and the reason I say that is, you know, I think generally speaking, we all like to be liked, mm-hmm. you know, but the fact that I like to be liked does not get me a 99th percentile extension in approval. 
you know, it's uh, now shifted. And so at those outer levels, there's this real need for or sense that people, you know, need to have others like them. So it's about, you know, a desire to fit in and to be, you know, accepted, I guess. And, and, and where it can be problematic, of course, is, is if people then start to, you know, play within themselves a little bit because they're very nervous or anxious about doing anything that might upset the apple cart, you know, upset the relationship. So, so at the high levels, it's this need to be liked. Mm, so I want to be liked, I need to be liked. Yeah. And what's the implication of needing to be liked? I might give away something that's important to me. Yeah, actually. Yeah, that's it. You know, so you know, as everyone knows, you know, the the essence here is all about you know impacts on effectiveness. So if I'm at a place where I'm feeling as though I need to have people like me, you know, that's going to impact on you know how I participate, whether I do or don't put my ideas forward, etc. Because I'm kind of encased in if this I'm, bubble of you know don't upset the apple cart. If I'm taking care of myself, <clears throat> or it's all about other people. All yeah. right, how do I sustain me? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Okay. Yeah. So, so I guess the answer to the question, you know, the short, sharp, you know, definition there at, at the high levels, it's, it's a need to be liked. Yeah, beautiful. Okay. What about conventional? We start swinging around. So yeah. conventional, how do you define that one? Yeah. So look, traditionally, we, or typically we define it as a, as a big focus on the rules, policies, procedures, precedents, and, you know, a real nervousness about shifting away from that you know, a real reluctance to do that. So it's almost like we're clinging on to it. Again, this is high levels, right? But we're clinging on to that, you know, almost as a bit of a security blanket and a real, you know, nervousness about entertaining, you know, possibilities of doing things differently. So it is about rules, policies, procedures. You know, that's sort of how we tend to define it. I often think when we're dealing with really high scores, it's not just that, you know, Um, it's all about what are the conventions around here that may or may not be found in a rule book anywhere, but, you know, how does stuff get done? How do people behave? So what are the conventions and a real nervousness about doing anything that's different to that? So I want to blend in. So it's kind of got some, you know, styles next to each other are the most similar to each other as we know. So it's almost, I want to fit in with the group kind yeah. of stuff is what you're saying there, yeah. which is kind of, you can hear a little bit of approval kind of echo there as well. Yeah, I am. You know, people that come through my accreditation training, I, I kind of cite this little example when we're talking about conventional, but it does remind me of teenage kids. I'm thinking of my kids in particular, right? They've all, all kind of grown up now. But when I was interacting with my kids in their, in their teens, the general vibe of it was, you know, that I wouldn't, I wouldn't understand them. They're really unique, you know. Um, I wouldn't kind of get it, you know. So music that they listen to, clothes they wear. All of that stuff, right? Hairstyles. Except my observation was they're all exactly the same as their mates. So, you know, so, so it's kind of conventional, right? It's about being the same. It's about a nervousness or, or, about being different, about being unique. You know, it's safer if we just blend in and be the same. I'm uniquely the same. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's kind yeah, of yeah. what it was, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And look, again, like in approval, we talked about at a low level, approval is what I want to be liked. And that's probably a useful bit to that. I think same in conventional, you know, some rules, of course, are useful. We need rules. Yeah. We need to fit in, stuff like that. But it's a difference between useful rules and and why we have the rules versus rules for rules' sake, and we're yeah. kind of bound by the rules, bound by the conventions, is when it starts getting further out there. Yeah. All right. The next one around the circumplex is dependent. How do you define dependent? 
Yeah, so it's a reluctance or a nervousness to back oneself, certainly without checking. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of what it is, right? Deferring to others. So, you know, typically around decisions and, you know, goals, uh, you know, uh, what do others want from me or expect from me? And, And so it's not really being driven by self, you know, self-set goals, uh, it's really deferring to others to have the kind of path mapped out for me. So a reluctance to back yourself without checking. Hmm. Keeps me safe because it's like, tell me what to do. Yeah. Right, I'm doing what I'm told. Yeah, yeah. It's a good segue, Dom. I know we're going to get there, but good segue into talking about how the styles that are directly across from the blue ones are actually opposite in definition, right? Hmm. So de- our dependent a friend sits right across from achievement. So it's just the dead set opposite of that, right? So right. So we'll, get, we'll get there in a sec on so that. But so it's the lack of my effort makes a difference, which yeah. is achievement, versus, well, I don't know if it does. Yeah, I'm unsure. You know, yeah. I, uh, I don't feel like my effort makes a difference. It's best, therefore, if I defer to others. Hmm. Now, again, do we need to follow some direction and yeah, stuff of like that? Of course. But when it's way out there, I think we're kind of in the passenger seat now. We're not in yeah. the driver's seat. Yeah, that's it. Beautiful. All right. What about if we keep going around, we're now at avoidance at yeah. the bottom. How do you describe yeah, that one? Yeah, it's almost, yeah, it's a, it almost like people are frozen, <laughs> you know, frozen in, in sort of inaction and, and uh, you know, a nervousness about committing, a nervousness about getting involved. You know, if it's the case of a, a problem or something that they're facing, you know, there's this sort of hope that maybe it'll just go away. It's hope, too, it, hope's not the best strategy, yeah, though, right? Yeah, that's it. You know, it's it's just a nervousness about getting involved, and it feels like you know. Pe- I think you know, but yeah, people are just kind of frozen. You know, they just uh, you know, unable to take action. Mm. Yeah, you know, and sometimes if if I continue my theme of low levels, I think you know there could be that now's not the right moment for that conversation yeah. or something. Sure, if it's tactical. Right, but when it becomes a strategic withdrawal, yeah. right, that's when we're getting further out into yeah. approval, uh, avoidance land. Yeah, yeah. Something you've you've said across all those styles, because those are all the passive defensive styles, right? The green styles was nervousness. I yeah. kind of noticed that was a word you said across most of them. I think, if not all of yeah. them, there's a nervousness there. Do you think that tif- typifies uh, those? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think so. And I guess I'm thinking, you know, through the LSI one lens, Mm. you know, there's sort of a degree of almost anxiety or or worry, you know, about the consequences of stepping into it, you know. And and so LSI one, we we can be very good at talking ourselves out of stuff, Mm. you know. And so, you know, where where we see people, you know, deferring to others, checking with the rules, not wanting to upset others, and, and potentially not taking action, you know. That's what we've got there because there's just this, there's this sort of worrying almost about being able to chart your own course. Mm, so it's almost, you know, sometimes we group them as, oh, I've got to be good. That's sort of the message I'm sending to myself. Yeah. Oh, I've got to be good. Yeah. Don't get in trouble. Don't you know, step on people's toes. Follow the rules, you know, yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, sort of in the early days of me trying to get my, my head around this thing, I used to try to understand all all of the defensive styles, or all eight of them, irrespective of color, I sort of, in my own mind, prefaced them with the words, things will be better for me if, right? So if we think about the green ones, green passive defensive styles that we just, you know, went through from three to six, you know, things will be better for me if people like me. Things will be right. better for me if I just follow the rules. Things will be better for me if I check with others. 
things will be better for me if I don't get involved, you know, kind of thing. So they're all strategies, aren't they? You know, and that's why, we, why they're at the bottom end of the circumplex, the security uh, focus. So it's all about, you know, how do I kind of look, you know, protect myself, I guess. You know, they're, they're, they're strategies to help us cope. But the, I don't know, for me, that sort of worked, you know, that little preface just to sort of get my head around what we're actually talking about here. I like that. And I think it speaks to in. You know, we often talk about it in, in accreditation and, and generally, there's no good, bad, right or wrong, right? You're not a bad person or something. If we've got some color in, in red or green, and we probably all have a bit of color in red and green, people do what they do for a reason, yeah. right? It must work at some level, otherwise we wouldn't do it, right? So we've learned to think and behave in that way, right? So it must work for us at some level. The question we're interested in, of course, is does it still serve us? Or actually, does it come with a cost? Yeah. Could there be another way that's going to serve us without that cost? Yeah, yeah. You know, that's kind of the key. Yeah. You know, it's, I, I always say that this in the, the kind of frame up at the start of a debrief, you know, before we've got anywhere near data, I'm just explaining the model to people. I say, you know, it's likely you'll have a score of some sort on all 12. Huh. You know, typically, you know, most of us do. Not all the time, but but it's, you know, more often the case than not that people will have a score of some sort. That's because, you know, there's some value in all of the styles, you know, irrespective of colour. But with the defensive styles, it's more a question of how much of it is there and is it functional for you at that level or or maybe, you know, we've kind of overcooked it. It's gone past the tipping point where it's uh, useful and, and maybe there's a bit of a sting in it now that that's actually not helpful. Okay. If we keep swinging around, so we were on the people side towards yep. security, right, which is the passive defensive. We're moving now into the aggressive defensive territory, which is moving towards the task side, but still security orientated. So the first one under there is oppositional. Yeah. So, you know, again, we're, we're talking in extremes here, so high scores, but it, it sort of presents as the permanent devil's advocate, mm. I think. You know, it's sort of someone who gravitates first towards why things won't work as opposed to considering possibilities for how we might make it work, you know. Oh. So, so someone who tends to find the holes in things or the, or the potential downsides of things as their first kind of response. So, yeah, I think that sort of captures it, you know, the devil's advocate as their go-to strategy, you know, that's, that's where they're going to go. And, you know, it's one of those ones where it's like at a low level, do we need to question staff if something's not right? Oh, of course we do. That's useful, right? But if that's our default mode of operating, you know, every time I come to end, he's going to tell me 20 reasons why that's not going to work. What's the implication of that? Yeah. You know, and from a thinking point of view, because that's kind of more behavior, but from a thinking point of view, that's how we talk to ourselves. Yeah. So I'm going to point out my own flaws. Yeah, yeah. That's right? It. And always lead with what doesn't work, what I got wrong. Yeah, you know, yeah. What's the cost of that? That's right. So, you know, it's a good lens to put on the LSI one, isn't it? You know, this, yeah. this is reflective of the conversation I have with myself how I treat myself, what I ask of myself. And, you know, can be quite a harsh critic, can't it, you know, if, mm. if that's there. You know, and another thing that I often find, you know, when I get into these red styles, so this one and, and the next one in particular, oftentimes it's coming from a place of wanting to help. I want know? to get it right. Yeah. yeah, you know, people almost see it as their role to point out the flaws and, and that's how I'm adding value, you know, like isn't that useful? Why would we want to waste a whole lot of time on an idea that's clearly flawed, you know? And so, you know, it's coming from that space, you know, but it's just, it's just interesting to sort of get people to think about, you know, the implications of that if it, if it presents 
perhaps through the LSI2 lens, implications of the pressure and stress they might be putting on themselves. And is there a different way to view it and, and to, to um, achieve the same outcome? You know, if, if it's, you know, your role to point out flaws, how can we do that, you know, in a constructive way? In a way that's more effective, absolutely. If we keep going around, we're now in power. So how do you define that one, Ed? I think it's about control, you know. So people often, you know, talk about this style in terms of hierarchical power, you know, like I'm the boss, they so just do it, that sort of stuff. So, so look, that's sometimes a factor, but I think at the heart of it, at the extreme, it's this sense that, you know, again, things will be better for me if I can control it. It's a nervousness about giving that control away to others. So that's what it is. It's about trying to control it and, you know, driving, I suppose, in the way that you feel you, you need to drive it. But there's, there's, there is this nervousness about giving away some mm. of that control to others. Mm. And to your point, Ian, I think under this one is a bit of that. If you want a job right, do it done right, do it yourself kind of stuff. And I think at the heart of that is I want a job done right. I want a good outcome. Yeah. Right? There's nothing wrong with that. But what's the implication as that gets higher up? It's kind of, I don't trust others to do stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think that's a good question. You know, that, 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 a good point to make, Don. That, those last two styles down in that bottom left-hand corner, seven and eight, you know, that issue of trust can be quite uh, relevant there. And, you know, so I'm not sure I can trust others. Mm. I don't feel like I can. You know, that's sort of LSI 1, right? But if we see it play out in the LSI 2, you you got to kind of think, is that the message that people are giving in that feedback? You know, mm. We're not real sure how much you actually trust us. So, we, you know, we actually sometimes refer to that little corner down there as the corner of low trust. Mm. Um, I think that it, that's quite a good pickup. And it sits opposite. We talked before yeah. with, I forget which one we pointed out for, oh, dependent, right? But it sits opposite affiliative, yeah. you know, which is camaraderie, teamwork. I'm stealing our own thunder when we get there, but, <laughs> but that kind of stuff, right? So yeah. that, that makes sense. All right, if we keep going... Around the circle, we're going to go up to uh, competitive now. How do you define that one? Yeah, look, uh, strong need to win. That's typically how we define it. You know, big emphasis on a, a felt sense that I, I need to win. I, I think sort of more broadly, it's about being seen and noticed in a positive light. You know, trying to prove oneself and to, sh- to sh- you know, show the value that, that I bring but it, it's kind of manifesting itself in, you know, I, I need to be better than others and, and to be able to display that. So strong need to win, but I, th- I think really it's all about proving oneself. I was going to say that, in because this is an interesting one, because it's, it's like, but don't we want to win? Of course we do. Right? Yeah. We want to win. But I think, A, it's picking what are the games you want to win in? Because when this is really high, I need to win everything, even the arguments that don't actually matter. Right, yeah. and don't ultimately help us move forward in the strategic goal, but I get the tactical win. Right, I, I can beat in in this argument, but it doesn't really help us actually. But I think it's more—it's a need to look good. Yeah, I think even more than a need to win, I—I I need to look good. Yeah, we can lose, but as long as I look good, I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, because it's a relative measure. Yeah, kind yeah. of stuff. And I guess that's sort of where I was going with the proving oneself. Yeah, you know, there's, yeah. There's just this sense that that's important, that's crucial. Things will be better for me if, you know, I can stand out and be, be seen and noticed in a positive light, you know, prove myself. So that if we see that in an LSI 1, you know, at high levels, that's a lot of pressure, isn't it? You know, in mm. terms of how people are talking to themselves, what you know, what they're asking of themselves. 
as shown in the LSI 1, there's got to be a point where that's coming at a cost. You know, it's just not that helpful. Not that helpful for you. And, and if you think of the LSI 2, if you've ever, you know, no one's on who's highly competitive, it's quite exhausting because you know, they've always got to be right and that kind of stuff. So you actually don't get the best ideas, right? Because it's about winning the argument, even if my idea is not the best idea. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. I've got to get yeah. there. So, you know, with competitive, you know, we, we sometimes do get a bit of pushback around this, you know, when you're explaining the model to people, um, you know, what's wrong with sort of thing. You know? uh, so I think it's important to understand the definition that we're, that we're playing with here. It's, it's not the broader, you know, as a business, we need to be competitive in the marketplace. Kind of, that's not really where we're, where we're going here. It's this constant comparison to others, you know, and these can be people who are in on the same team, yeah. you know, in my team. And it's the type of competitiveness that if it leaks out into what others see, it can actually be quite detrimental to mm. us working effectively as a team, you know. Mm. So that that's what we're talking about here. Competition sort of within, you know, constant comparison to others who may well be on my same team and this sense that I need to stand out in a positive light when I'm doing that comparison. Mm. Okay. What about if we keep going around, we're now up in perfectionistic. How do you describe that one? Yeah. So, you know, it's it's a often with perfectionistic, it's about goals. We're, we're way on the task side now, aren't we, in mm. the circumplex? Mm. But it's this sort of never-ending quest for perfection. You know, oftentimes the, the bar is just too high. You know, it's unrealistic. They're unrealistic goals. Not actually achievable. Um, mm. No. And, and again, just, just a lot of pressure and stress that people put on themselves that's gone past the point of a return. You know, like we all mm. want to get things right. We all want to do a good job, you know, but, but if we're high and perfectionistic, you know, that it can sort of just be unrealistic and, and a lot of pressure and stress that we're putting on ourselves for, for no real return, you know. Uh, so where could we more effectively spend our energy, effort and focus? Yeah. You know, to me is kind of the, the thing. Because sometimes people talk about the, we don't need the 100% selection, 100% solution, you know, 80% is good enough. But I think when you, if you say that to someone who's high on perfectionistic, they're like, oh, like, that kills me. <laughs> so instead, I like to say it's about, it doesn't have to be the perfect, it has to be effective, right? Because we can make an effective you know, decision or whatever effort on this and then redeploy our effort somewhere else where we can be effective and somewhere else where we can be effective versus getting bogged down trying to make something perfect. Yeah. You know, yeah. And to me, that's the, that's the key. Yeah, yeah. You know, again, if we think about it through the LSI 1 lens, it can be a fairly harsh judge on oneself, you know. It's, it's sort of black and white. It's a pass or a fail, you know. Well, <laughs> and if it's anything other than a pass, it's just not good enough sort of thing. And, and uh, you know, that can be, again, just a lot of pressure that people put on themselves. And I think it's something else I like to point out is it's not that people are perfect, who are high and perfectionistic, right, is that I need to appear perfect, you know? So it's a bit of a facade almost, right? Because no one actually is, right? But what does that mean? Well, if I make a mistake, I'm like, oh, I might just cover that up. Yeah. I don't want people to know, right? What's the implication of that? You know, if I need help, I might not actually ask for it until it's kind of too late, Yeah. Because right? to ask for help would be to say that I'm not perfect. Yeah, yeah. You know, stuff like that. So what is the implication of that? That's something to think about. Yeah. Cool. Okay, so that was our aggressive defensive styles. And we talked about the green ones being this kind of need to be good. How would you describe the the group of aggressive defensive styles? Yeah, it, you know, it, it is about, well, a desire to look good, <laughs> I think. 
a desire to prove oneself, etc. And so it's coming from a task bent, isn't it? It's all on, it's all about task. But and it can be at a level where you know could be detrimental to the other side of the circumplex, which is the people side. But yeah, we we classify it as kind of the look the look good stuff. You know, show, be seen and noticed in a positive light. Yeah. Okay. All right. So if we keep going up, now we're in our constructive styles up the top. So achievement. How do you describe that one? Yep. So there's a number of kind of definitions we use here or components of it. But it's this strongly held sense that I can and I am making a valuable contribution, you know? So it's a real sort of willingness to back oneself. So that's the opposite of the dependent stuff, isn't it? So there, there we go. We, we talked about that earlier, didn't we? But so independent, I don't really feel like I'm making a valuable contribution or that I can back myself. But up here, it's the total opposite of that. So strongly held sense that I can and, and am making a valuable contribution. It's a, this is, this next piece is where it sometimes differs, I think, from perfectionistic that we we're just talking about. It's the habitual application of cause and effect thinking sits there as well. What I mean by that is both perfectionistic and achievement are about goals, but with achievement, there is more of a sense of, you know, realistic, achievable, attainable, and potentially flexible goals. Mm. And what I'm getting at there is with an achievement focused person, you know, there's sort of an acceptance that sometimes things won't go to plan. But what's really important is that we learn from that. So when things are not on track, when we're not, you know, looking as though we're going to hit the goal, we're able to stop and unpack that, which is the cause and effect thinking. You know, let's analyze why we've got to where we've, we've got to, what's to be learnt from that. Let's keep going. We won't lose momentum. But, you know, do we need to reassess, reset goals, you know, and, and on we go. But it's all based on what we've learnt through our application of cause and effect thinking. I think it's that learning bit that sometimes gets missed with perfectionistic because there's sort of the reluctance to accept the fact that, hey, sometimes life gets in the way and we don't get there. So with perfectionistic, it's a pass or fail and we can kind of miss the, the learning bit. Achievement, achievement's got this application of cause and effect thinking from which we can learn to inform decisions about, you know, going forward, what we need to do. And I like that comparison. I often use that for the constructive style. So with perfectionistic, I talk about achievement as excellence versus perfection. Yeah. Now, excellence is still a high standard. It's a really high standard. It's excellent, right? Excellent is not mediocre. Excellent is not low standards. Excellent is excellent, but it doesn't need to be perfect, right? Because I think sometimes if you talk to a perfectionist, it's either perfect or it's nothing. Yeah. I said, no, yeah. we still want excellent, right? And excellent is a really high bar, but it's achievable. Yeah. Right? So it's a stretch but realistic goal. Yeah. All right? That's kind of the difference. And it's a self-set goal versus another set, which is kind of a competitive yeah. thing, right? I'm looking at Ian and I'm going to beat him versus what's, the, what's my aspiration, right? Where do I want to be yeah. for yeah. myself? Yeah. You used a, a good term there, Don, which is another key component of achievement, which is the self-set goals. So, you know, way I often kind of think about it is, you know, if I'm high on achievement, I'm in the driver's seat of me. So I'm charting my own course as opposed to, you know, deferring to others, having the course set for me by others. So there's, there's this sense that I'm in the driver's seat and, and uh, you know, spending my time and energy in ways that I want to spend them as opposed to uh, being at the mercy of others. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. Yeah. My effort makes a difference. Love it. Yeah. Okay. If we keep going around, we're at self-actualizing. I think this is the one people struggle with the most. And yeah. so 
There yeah. you go. There's a, there's a <laughs> set up for you. Yeah, good one. Yeah, look, I, I think that's right. It's a little bit less tangible than some of the other styles, isn't it? You know, like you, you need to be self-actualized. You know, it's sort of harder to get your head around that perhaps than some of the other ones. I think at the end of the day, it boils down to a high degree of comfort. So comfortable with who I am, where I'm going, you know, that, that's all crystal clear to me. And I'm also cool with the fact that you may well be different. So, you know, accepting of difference, diversity and change, you know, embracing change. So it's a high degree of, of comfort, I think, is how I, with, with who I am, where I am, where I'm going. And that doesn't mean we still can't grow, right? And because actually to be fully self-actualized is to reach our full potential, right? So yeah, I often describe it as I'm not worried about being judged, right? So that's kind of the same yeah. thing. Therefore, I can give stuff a go, try new things, you know, throw yeah. an idea out there. Undefended. Yeah. Undefended, exactly. Beautiful. All right. If we keep going around to humanistic encouraging, we're now moving towards the people side of constructive. All right. So how do you define that one? Yeah. For, for me, it's a big focus on coaching, mentoring, developing, training uh, others. So a big direction of energy towards, you know, helping others be at their best. Mm. And it's not just, you know, because I like that stuff, you know, I mean, probably I do like that if I'm high there, but it's more that I understand the value it brings. So I, I understand if we can create a, an environment where people are learning and, you know, that I can play an active part in that coaching, mentoring, developing others, you know, that there's all sorts of value that comes that from that. makes us more effective. Yeah. Yep. And yeah, I think in here, sometimes people see the encouraging word, I think they're like, oh, it's the everyone gets a medal kind of <laughs> yeah. stuff, right? I don't think that's true, you know, because that's really more in that passive space, right? We've got to make everything okay for everyone, right? To me, I always think of who's the best leader, manager, mentor you've ever had, right? And I reckon they probably challenged you, stretched you, yeah. right? That's not nice, right? Nice is don't worry about it and just sit, sit on your backside yeah. and don't do anything, right? That's comfortable. So challenge and stretch is uncomfortable, but they supported you, they believed in you, they helped you, right? And to me, that is more what humanistic encouraging is about. Yeah, yeah. You know, I have had people say in a debrief when I'm starting to explain the model and, and we get to this, you know, people side of blue, you know, that that's all just the warm, fluffy stuff. You know? Group, group uh, hug stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. people say and that though. It's not, right? So, so you can have some really challenging conversations and it sits in humanistic encouraging. The, you know, the intent is to help people be at their best. Sometimes that requires some tough conversation. So there's nothing inherently kind of warm and fluffy about it. Yeah, but it's the intent. Yeah. All right. Beautiful. All right. What about if we keep going around? We're now on the most people oriented of the constructive styles, which is affiliative. What's that one? Yeah. You know, people's, I find, sometimes get confused between humanistic encouraging and affiliative. And remember, they are next to each other on the model. So what we know about that is that styles that sit next to each other are pretty, pretty similar, right? So this is a good example of that. But if affiliative is more broader in that it's about connections and relationships. So, you know, if I'm high in affiliative, you know, I want to play an active role in creating an environment where people will come together to share ideas, help each other, cooperate, collaborate, network, all of that stuff. So again, not just because I like it, but because I understand the value that that brings. And what's the difference? We did the kind of border case for achievement with perfectionistic because they're next to each other. What about affiliative and approval? What's the difference? Yeah. So um, look, they're both highly people-focused styles, aren't they? So there's some similarities there. But 
kind of comes back to the motivation behind it. I think because approval, you know, when we're talking in extremes, you know, that's a bottom end style, security focused style, affiliative is not. And so, you know, with affiliative, it's almost this sense of, you know, I have some goals and some needs. Yeah, so do you. How do we work together to give us both a shot at achieving the things that we want out of it? But we drop one style south down into approval and, and there's this tendency to give away the stuff that's important to you if it helps keep you happy, keep it, keep others happy, you know. So you don't get that in affiliative. There's no kind of giving away of stuff. It's more about let's get together to, to both ha- have uh, the outcomes that we need. So I kind of hear, I love working together. I love cooperating, collaborating, but I'm still going to hold on to what's important to me. Of course, yeah. There's yeah. an approval. It's like, oh, I'm worried and might you know, not be happy about that. So I better just go along with them yeah. to keep them happy. Yeah, yeah. That's right. the difference. So they're both, yeah, both about, you know, relationships, but, you know, different intents behind it. Mm. And so we did the be good, look good. How do you describe the constructive ones? How do you describe it, Tom? I, I do it as do, <laughs> do good, right? Because to me, it's all about being effective yeah. in the end. Because you talked about, you know, relationships and development, coaching, and not being worried about being judged for a reason, right? Because we want to be effective. We want to get the best out of ourselves and others, right? And so to me, it's about doing good, so yeah. making it happen. Yeah, that's it. Awesome. All right, Ian, thanks for taking a walk through the circumplex <laughs> with me. No problem. I hope that helps people out there. Just, you know, because I know I've stolen lots of things from you over time of the way you describe different <laughs> send styles. You a bill. I talk about my teenage kids, though I'm not, uh, <laughs> not old enough to have them. Um, so I think for, you know, new practitioners out there, it's just useful to hear how other people talk about it and, you know, maybe borrow a couple of ways of phrasing things and stuff like that. So if you heard something, Ian won't charge any royalties for yeah. you uh, <laughs> using his little description there. Uh, We hope it's useful. Thanks for your time, Ed. No problem. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for listening to this episode of Culture Bites. If you enjoy the show, remember to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, leave us a review. It helps other people to find the show. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, email podcast at human-synergistics.com.au. We'd love to answer it. This podcast is copyrighted by Human Synergistics Australia, all rights reserved. To learn more about what we do, visit human-synergistics.com.au.